0: Elections in India are nothing short of a festival. They are the ultimate celebration of democracy and like many of the Indian festivals, elections in this country are large, loud and recurrent. With around 5 to 7 state assembly elections every year and a general election typically once in 5 years, The Indian Election Machinery has conducted 17 general elections to the Lok Sabha and nearly 400 elections to the various state legislatures in the last 70 years. India, the world's largest democracy, has 93 crore registered voters. For the last general election held in 2019, votes were cast across more than 10 lakh polling stations to decide the fate of 8,000 candidates belonging to over 600 parties. And the Election Commission of India, deploying over 10 million polling officials and over thousands of armed police forces, becomes the country's master event manager. Little wonder then that the 2019 general election was termed as Desh Ka And there are plans to make this Mahatyohar even bigger. Yes, through one nation, one election. While this is not a new idea, it has suddenly gained momentum.
1: One nation, one election. I was not expecting this. What will we get one election or ten election? This impossible. If bill constitutional.
2: If tomorrow there is no stability, then central government will fall. And again they will go for election every day. Please be practical.
1: Adani ke corruption from Adani's corruption, one nation, one election. One nation, one election will take India. Into a different level,
3: people, political party. If they collectively think that how to address this problem and we can avoid this frequent election, this committee on simultaneous election itself is a jumla from their side. It's a clear, systematical attempt to
1: sabotage parliamentary democracy. Outright, a Kazena, he is a a Richard,
0: One nation, one election essentially means that a voter casts a vote for electing members to all the three tiers of government, the central, state, and local, on a single day and at the same time. The government has now created a special committee.
2: It will be headed by India's former president, Ram Nath Kovind. Interestingly, the government has also called for a special session of parliament. Rumour is, one nation, one election could be on the agenda.
0: Incidentally, India has had a history of simultaneous elections. The country's first four general elections to Lok Sabha and all the state legislatures were held simultaneously in 1951, 1957, 1962 and 1967. So what is the debate all about now? Why revert to the old way? Is it a constitutional hurdle? Is it an administrative and logistical challenge? What is prompting the move? And will the current government succeed? I seek answers to these questions from the former director general of election commission of India, Mr. Akshay Rao.
1: It's difficult, it's complex, but it's not impossible. In a country like India, we are in a governance paralysis because we always have elections. So we are
3: perpetually in the election mode.
0: We also have the founding member of Association for Democratic Reforms, Professor Jagdeep Chokar.
3: Are we looking for the cheapest possible democracy? Or are we looking for the most effective democracy for our purpose?
0: And my colleague from The Economic Times, Anupati Vishnoy, who tracks electoral reforms and policy
2: issues. This issue has acquired currency and has come to the forefront more under this government since 2014. It's Tuesday, September 12th. From
0: The Economic Times, I'm your host Kiran Somvanshi. And today in this episode, we explore the emotions and economics of one nation, one election. This is The Morning Brief.
2: What started as a simultaneous poll in this country became completely derailed. So now to get them back on track has been challenging. The high-level committee which has just been constituted under former President Kovind. The very first term of reference says very clearly that the the high-level committee will examine and make recommendations for holding simultaneous elections to the Lok Sabha, the Legislative Assembly, as well as municipalities and panchayats. So that seems to be the key intent to start with. Let us see what the committee recommends and if they are able to do it that way.
0: That's my colleague Anubhuti spelling out the broad mandate of the newly set-up committee. But it is not the first committee to deliberate on simultaneous elections. The Law Commission, in its 170th report on reform of electoral laws way back in 1999, had recommended simultaneous elections to Lok Sabha and state assemblies. The Parliamentary Standing Committee, in its 79th report submitted in 2015, also recommended an alternative method of holding simultaneous elections. And of course,
2: the Election Commission of India has always backed the idea. In 1983 itself, when the Election Commission came out with its first annual report, it was very clear and it said that the requirement is to restore the simultaneous election cycle so that the country is not caught in this multiple cycle of elections. So that is how the EC stepped into the picture in 1983. And it is a position it has taken consistently. It hasn't changed that position. Various consultations have been held by the Law Commission, Parliamentary Standing Committees, and everywhere the commission has said as long as adequate EVM and PVPAT verified water paper trail are provided to it, as long as there's adequate polling staff, security deployment, it is well equipped to hold a simultaneous poll. So even in 2022, when the law commission held a consultation with them, they have maintained the same. That we can do it, provided you give us the wherewithal.
0: This prompted me to turn to Mr. Akshay Raut, who has been the Director General of the Election Commission of India from 2009 to 2014. He is currently a senior fellow at the NITI Aayog.
1: Well, it's not exactly a brand new idea. It's an old idea which has been discussed in the public domain and for quite some time, by the way. I'm not only talking about the NITI Ayog's report of 2017. I'm talking about all the discussions that have taken place, including that in Law Commission and in certain cases directly or indirectly from Election Commission of India. Not long ago, even the former president, Mr. Pranam Mukherjee, spoke about it. And of course, this government has been pretty loud about it. The prime minister spoke about it many times and so also the present home minister. These are synchronized or aligned elections. People should not think that one nation, one election means they go and Push the button once for parliament and for assembly. It's one outing for the voter. That's it. But they have to vote in two machines, two electronic voting machines for choosing their assembly representative and their looks of representative as the case may be. So,
0: so from the administration point of view, I wanted to know what are the reasons for which one should go for this simultaneous elections? What are the benefits of doing such a thing?
1: Oh, there are valid reasons. In fact, the Standing Committee of Parliament had mentioned that. Niti Ayoga has mentioned it, and others have mentioned it very elaborately. How in a country like India, we are in a governance paralysis, policy paralysis, because we always have elections. We are perpetually in election mode. One state election comes to a close. Just for example, in November, December, we are waiting for five general elections to state assemblies. Madhya Pradesh, Chhattisgarh, right. Telangana, right. Mizoram, Rajasthan. And soon after the national election then there are many state elections so always the country is in election mode. Let me tell you something interesting out of my observation. The model code of conduct is meant for politicians and political parties. But these days the compliance from them is weakening to some extent, to a good extent. But the compliance of model code of conduct by the governing officials is very high. They're very worried of violating the Model Code of Conduct. So they follow it so seriously that they would not take any steps, which means a government policy to advance a government policy, implementation, all that. Then see the amount of money that is being spent. In fact, modest estimates are like five, 6000 crores by the Election Commission of India's account itself. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. The amount of money that the political parties, the candidates spend Some unofficial estimates say it's about 30,000 crores in an election. Just imagine a country like India. Our resources are not to be thrown away. That's one of the major reasons why perhaps we should go for one nation, one election in which a lot of money can be saved. I have another observation as an old election manager and who keeps interest in the election-related activities till now. And this is pretty new in the recent decades. The election campaigns have taken a shape In which we have a lot of toxin that flows out of election campaign. Hate news, fake news, abuses without any consideration for the negative consequences that it may have. References to caste, cricket, religion and all sorts of things. What happens is that the impact of it, the divisive impact, even lasts beyond the elections, which is pretty bad for the society, for the state, for the country. So If we have one national election, then perhaps the toxin will be restricted.
0: And what about the voters, if we had to look from the other side?
1: Elections are called festivals of democracy. But what is a festival if it is happening again and again? People get voting fatigue. People are not, the turnout can get reduced because people say, oh, again, one more election. Again, to go and stand in the queue, look for the voter ID card, look for the electoral roll. People get tired. And in this modern life when we're talking about 2023 and beyond, everyone is so busy. Okay, if election come once in a while, they'll take it as a precious endorsement which holds for five years for all types of representatives. But if it is again and again, they may just get disinterested, disenchanted. So there is a valid argument there.
0: Right. So as a former Director General of the Election Commission, having manned the whole election machinery... How do you see the feasibility of this happening?
1: It's difficult. It's complex. But it's not impossible. If we have to align the whole thing once again, that it is a long road in terms of you are not playing it only in the management space of Election Commission of India. You are playing it in the constitutional space, in the parliamentary space, and in the executive space. I am not going to tell you or list of the constitutional provisions, the acts of parliament, the election rules, which need to amend. There are plenty that have to be done, but it's not impossible. To me, it looks practical that it may happen in phases, in stages, like it's possible that certain number of state assemblies and the Lok Sabha go into election. If there is a trade-off in which certain assemblies surrender their right for not to run for five years and dissolve before, Or in certain cases, some assemblies are extended, which is not easy. State assemblies are dissolved by a central intervention to impose a president rule only if there is a breakdown of constitutional machinery. So there are provisions of constitution which have to be amended, changed. And all this is political. There has to be some type of agreement on this because this is huge. But I think for the right reasons, political parties do agree that there is a need for one nation, one election, then it's possible and possible in good time.
0: But do you see that happening? Do you see political parties agreeing? Because, you know, at some point, you know, in this principle, it looks like regional parties may not be able to get the same kind of representation when it becomes one election at the same time all over India. So what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that is one of the very logical arguments against one nation, one election, which you have pointed out, there are regional aspirations, regional groups, small political configurations. In a one nation, one election situation, what is likely to prevail is a big national narrative. And to some extent, it is the big one or the winner takes it all type of apprehension that the small and do have. And it has some logic in it. It's not illogical. But there have also been elections to suggest that not long ago in an election in Odisha, Odisha is one of the few states among the four states which has its assembly and parliamentary elections together. Andhra is another one. Sikkim is another one. So people voted in a particular manner for Lok Sabha and in a different manner for assembly. So people apply their intelligence and Indian voters are quite intelligent that way. They have proved it again and again. But the general stories, the national or the major narrative is likely to dominate. We also have the fact that the local government elections, say Panchayat or municipality elections, or above that the assembly elections, they draw more voters compared to the voters in a Lok Sabha election. That means people have different ideas when they vote because they find local issues, local problems closer to them, closer to their heart, closer to their families, communities, people can sort of sense the difference and apply their judgments differently. But generally, it has been seen that it to advent all India political regimes if the elections are held together.
0: Prima facie, the concept of one nation, one election, holds an immense appeal and practicality due to the savings on cost, manpower, and resource mobilization. And why not? For the government, the cost of conducting Lok Sabha elections has seen a significant jump in recent years. To give you an example, over 1100 crore rupees were spent in conducting the 2009 Lok Sabha elections, but the cost tripled to nearly 4000 crore rupees for the 2014 elections. And that's the general elections we are talking about. State elections have an expenditure outlay of around 300 to 400 crore rupees each. And all this is still just a small proportion of the huge amount of funds spent by political parties, their candidates, and even potential candidates who wish to contest an election. In comparison to all this, the Parliamentary Standing Committee had pegged the cost of holding simultaneous elections at around 4,500 crore rupees. should cost be the determinant of how elections are held in a democracy? To check this, I turn to Professor Jagdeep Chokar, the founding member of Association for Democratic Reforms and the former director of IM Dawad. He has participated in nearly 28 seminars across the country debating this issue and has even written a paper on this that was published by the Hindu Center for Politics
3: and Public Policy. Well, I think this idea is actually a uh... A red herring. It has been raised many times, actually. It has been raised during Indira Gandhi's time. It was raised by LK Devani. Last it was raised was in 2014-16. And from 2016 to 2019, there was a humongous debate in the country. This is, in my opinion, a waste of national resources. So much money has been spent in discussing this issue, which everybody knew is not going to happen which is today also the case, but today I would say there are only two scenarios in which it can possibly happen. One is either the Supreme Court should stop functioning or the constitution should be changed. If the Supreme Court starts functioning doing its constitutional duty and the constitution is not changed, then this cannot happen.
0: But why do you think, why this is being debated time and again, why this issue comes up and it's not that India didn't have it earlier. Like from 1951 to 1967,
3: we had it. You right. it happened from 1951 to 1967 because at that time when the elections began, obviously there was one election for all states and for the assembly. It was not that there was one election. The elections to all state assemblies and the parliament were held at the same time. There were some 80-20 different elections because the number of states was less. So to say that one nation, one election is actually semantically wrong. So anyway, we had elections to all state assemblies and parliament at the same time till 1967. Then in 1967, a state assembly was dissolved before its five years were over. Now, if a state assembly is dissolved, then the elections have to be held within six months. Otherwise, people of that state will have no legislative or political representation in policy making. Constitution says so. So elections to that state assembly were held separately at a time different from the parliament and state assembly elections to the all X-1 states. Then, as time went on, there was a time when the parliament elections, one major party lost, and the party or a group of parties who won. They decided to dissolve all state assembly. So it happened because of political evolution and political developments. It was not that it was happening till 1967 and then it was decided that there will be no simultaneous elections henceforth. That was not a decision taken by anybody. It just so happened because political evolution so happened. And then the electoral competition in the country became much more intense. In the early days, there used to be just one major political party in the states and in the center. So the elections were kind of more of a formality. Then as the electoral competition intensified, then these things started happening. Now today, I hear that the state assembly elections are held. And one party says, Ke election ka result is banayenge." now we are in an era where election results of state assemblies literally have no meaning so the way we are holding elections even now is actually a sham it's a it's a ritual so it is not that they were happening till 67 and then they were stopped they say the process of political maturity and so when you say why is it being discussed again and again to answer your question specifically is to distract people from some people, which some people think are rather more pressing issues, like Manipur, for example.
0: So why do you think this is not a great idea?
3: Well, not only is it not a great idea, it is a bad idea. Because of a couple of reasons, it strikes at the federal principle. Federal principle is one of the, which is now a bad word to say, it is one of the features of the basic structure of the constitution so long as federalism is a part of the basic structure of the Constitution, which under the doctrine, Parliament cannot amend. Federalism is a given and this violates the principle of federalism. States are a constitutionally separate entity. They have their own electoral rhythm. You can't force them to suit the federal election. So, there's not a great idea for that reason. But uh, what about the
0: argument that too much money is spent?
3: I have two questions. Number one, who spends this money? Money is spent in two broad ways. One is the Election Commission of India spends money on conducting the election. That is one chunk of money. The other money that is spent, which an institution, Center for Media Studies estimated that 60,000 crores was spent on the 2019 election, which that figure is debatable because there are many things in that report which have been left out and they say so. Given that, election commission spends a very minuscule part of this money. The overwhelming proportion of this money is spent by political parties and candidates. Now, candidates and political parties have never said that we have a problem, that we are spending money. As a matter of what, after every election, there is a demand that the limit on election expenditure should be increased. So, whose money are we trying to save? Number two, which is a very, very serious matter as far as I am concerned and I feel very, very upset about it. Are we looking for the cheapest possible democracy or are we looking for the most effective democracy for our purpose? So it is fundamentally wrong to put a monetary value on the price of democracy.
0: But this idea has been not only coming from politicians, it has also come up uh, through a law commission report. Through a parliamentary standing committee,
3: law commission said a lot of things. Law commission also said that it may be worth doing, but its time has not yet come. It is not a penicilla, you know. Okay, I actually made a presentation to the law commission, and law commission asked me. They said if all political parties agree that there should be simultaneous elections. What is your problem? I called the election commission. I said, I'm sorry, I must tell you that the election and democracy is not the sole proprietorship of political parties. Political parties think they own the electoral process. And let me also tell you why it is coming from several politicians. So what happens is that whenever a particular party is in a strong position forming the central government, they are kind of seduced by this idea of perpetuity. Here, yeah, there is a Urdu couplet, which says, Politicians who are in power today, they are not owners of this position. They are caretakers. They, are they think that they can create a situation mm-hmm. where they will permanently be in power. And this is a way to do that. This Nobody says this, but this is a fact. That is why Every strong government has thought of this idea.
0: What about the challenges in conducting simultaneous
3: elections? That's a totally different story. So, there have been any number of discussions, arguments between state election commissions and the central election commission about EVM. The state election commissioners want to borrow EVM from the election commission. And they say, no, no, we don't have enough. You buy your own. You so buy cars, you like vaccine. They're not available in enough quantity we elect for uh, 543 members of the lok sabha and something like 4000 members of the state assemblies total in parliament the number of members elected is runs into lakhs if you put all the jazz elections together it's like comparing the moon and the sun it's a huge humongous exercise that is why in the 2016 to 19 phase when this thing was you know, a major discussion the Jayatul part had been dropped, quietly. But it's now back again. Let there be more discussion.
0: What do you think about the public opinion? Do you think public opinion will veer towards you know, going for the idea?
3: Yes, yes, public opinion will. Because it is so attractive. One nation, one election. One nation, one tax. Huh? And I don't want to go further. You know, one nation, one party, one nation, one so-and-so. It, it makes intuitive sense to a man on the street that, you know, A lot of people, actually the people who are better off, think of elections as a kind of holiday. They go on a trip somewhere, they don't vote. Poor people or people who are relatively less well off, they think of it as an opportunity to to have their say. But over time, it has been so, I suppose, debased that now people think of it as a way to making some money. There is a saying that jab, jab, aata hai, garib ke pe't mein hai. I may get 2,000 rupees, I may get 5,000 rupees. If I have a family of four, my children are also voting age, I may get 20,000 rupees. So if people look at it in this crooked way, then they may not like it because the more elections, more time you get money. But by and large, this seems intuitively seemed a good idea. One nation, one election. Five years ago, five years ago, let us sort of keep doing our work.
0: So, one nation, one election may appear to be an efficient way of selecting our lawmakers, but it may hurt the fundamental aspect of federalism. It has the potential to wipe out small regional parties and is therefore likely to be opposed. I again turn to Anubhuti. So, what are the challenges, according to you, that are involved in implementing this idea? One is, of course, getting the political consensus. What are the others?
2: So, there are two key issues to it. One is, how do you get all state assemblies, you know, to go to poll in sync with Lok Sabha? So, for that, what it means is that either you have to dissolve an assembly prematurely, or you have to extend the term of an assembly. In both, there are constitutional and legal complications. You know, Article 83.2 and 172.1 of the Constitution of India clearly state that the term of the Lok Sabha and the state assembly respectively will be five years from the date of its first sitting. But to extend it, you need a proclamation of emergency. That is tough to do, you know, because you need, you go to the president and then you need um, two-thirds majority in the, looks about to pass such a resolution. You can do it for six months at a time. And, and most panels so far are not very, very favorable to the idea of extending the term. The second option is to get all assemblies in sync is prematurely resolved them. Now, that is where political consensus becomes key. For instance, you know, a state like Karnataka, which has just gone to poll. Now, why would it want to dissolve assemblies so early and go to poll in 2024? So, those issues will arise, especially with opposition-ruled states, a state which is ruled by the same party at the center as well as the state. Those issues may not arise to that extent, but an opposition-ruled state will be averse to that. Or somewhere, you know, where the term is a lot of the term of the state assembly is left, there will be reservation around going to election again. So, to this issue, you know, there will be political consensus required to get all parties in sync. So, that is the starting point. And how does one club the polls together? There have been recommendations made by Niti Ayog in 2017 by the Law Commission and Election Commission that provided people agree to a curtailment of term. What we can do is half the states can go to poll with Lok Sabha. Say, if you look at 2024, say, Haryana and Maharashtra are lined up for elections in November. Why don't you club them with Lok Sabha, bring in the rest, Orissa, etc., already are there, which are timed with Lok Sabha. So you bring a clutch of states, 10 to 14 of them in one cycle, And then about two and a half years later, hold another midterm where the rest of the states are brought in. So a first-time measure will be challenging. Now, okay, provided we do that, the second challenge arises, the aftermath of the simultaneous poll, because how do you guarantee that the government will last its term? How it got disrupted the first time around was because several assemblies were prematurely dissolved. So what if such a situation arises again? What if we have a hung assembly? What if there is a no-confidence motion passed in Parliament. So for that, the Election Commission, the Law Commission, I think it's in 117th report, they have recommended that, you know, every time a no-confidence motion is passed, is moved in Parliament or the State Assembly, it must simultaneously be accompanied with a confidence motion in the House. A confidence motion for another ruling dispensation, another Parliament, so that you don't have a vacuum and nobody does it frivolously.
0: And is it only constitutional amendment or certain other acts also need to be amended? What all comes under the legal amendment space?
2: Yes, there will be several of them actually. But the key will be representation of People's Act 1951 and uh, 1950. Both, you know, detail the conduct of elections. So they will definitely require amendments. That will be the key ones. And there are rules under them. Conduct of election rules of 1960s will also require some amendments. More issue will be there and that will be the anti-defection issues and the schedule 10.
0: So having tracked this space, like what is your idea about this whole thing being rolled out this time around seriously, now with a panel being formed by the government, like what is your sense?
2: Uh, Well, uh, we can definitely see some new energy around it. But government has pitched it very strongly earlier as well. That you have a former president of India heading a committee, which is actually unprecedented in its own way. You rarely had former presidents chairing a committee. Does give it a lot of weight. It it can fast track things, but whether it is going to be possible to do it in 24 or will it go into 2029, we don't know. But uh, definitely, a panel has been set up, a high profile panel at that. So we can expect, I think, some movement on it, at least because the committee has also been asked to look at a phase-wise plan to drop that. The rest of the stuff, whether you're looking at logistics, EVMs, VVPATs, common electoral role, a lot of work has been done on that side. The centre has opened conversations with chief secretaries of all states. So it's not like we are starting on a blank slate. Considerable work is done. Then the Election Commission of India, as recently as March this year, and it is reported that also has actually done a complete mapping of number of EVMs and VV pads, which will be required if we have a simultaneous poll in 2024 and 2029. So it's it said very clearly the number of polling stations will be, say, over well, 11 lakh in 2024. And we need these many lakhs and crores of EVMs and VV pads. So a lot of work on logistical side requirements, assessments has been going on in the background. They're just two sticky points, political consensus building and how to effect it. The phasing of states. I think if they get that through, you can actually make a move. That is a, a huge political call as well. More than more than a governmental call, it is a political call.
0: A political call, surely it is. And the resignation of Congress's Adhir Ranjan Chaudhry from the nine-member committee recently formed shows that achieving political consensus is going to be quite difficult. Of course, the idea has its pros and cons, but the implementation of this idea will basically test the astuteness of the Indian voter. Will the Indian voter be able to differentiate between the local, regional and national issues and vote accordingly? Will the Indian voter be able to make a distinction between the local leaders working at the grassroots level from the larger-than-life image of national leaders? And will the Indian voter like to forego the chance of having national leaders come to seek their votes more frequently than just once in five years? Till the answers to these questions cannot be a resounding yes, the idea of one nation, one election seems to be a little premature and of course difficult to implement. Elections make governments accountable and having them just once or twice during a five-year period may not be good for governance at the state as well as national level. It will be interesting to see if costs can be saved and efficiencies be brought in the electoral process without compromising the interests of the stakeholders involved. Now that's an issue for a committee of experts to delve into. So that's it for today. This is Kiran Somwanchi from the Economic Times and you were listening all about One Nation, One Election only on the morning brief. A special thank you to our guests, Mr. Akshay Raut, Professor Jagdeep Chokar and Anubhuti Vishnoi for sharing their amazing insights. This episode was brought to you by sound editor Rajas Nayak and producer Surohini Jain. TMB's executive producers are Anupriya Nayar, Anirban Choudhury and Arijit Barman. Thank you for listening. And if you like this episode, do spread the word. A new episode of the Morning Brief podcast drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Don't miss it. It streams on Amazon Prime Music, Gio Savan, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. And of course, ET's own audio platform, ET Play. Have a wonderful week ahead. All clips used in this episode belong to the respective owners. Credits are mentioned in the description.